Hey, I'm Brett Salyer. I'm a computer scientist. And I'm Marcus Riggs, a crypto investor. We're just two friends seeking to learn a little more about the crypto space every week and share our discoveries with you. Join us each week as we go through the evolving world of crypto and discuss everything from Bitcoin, NFTs, blockchain technology, mining, and a whole lot more. We are the Crypto Bros. Welcome back to the Crypto Bros podcast. I'm Marcus. This is Brett. Today, we're going to be talking about stable coins, uh, how they work, uh, why they pay off such a high interest rate. We're going to be getting into the nitty gritty details. But as usual, we're going to get into the news first. First article up, Kraken CEO warns users to, quote, get your coins out, end quote, of centralized exchanges. Uh, for this one, the Kraken CEO, Jesse Powell, uh, slammed the Canadian government's decision to seize funds from its citizens' bank accounts without due process. He revealed that Kraken will be forced to comply with asset seizure request and warned users against uh, warned users to get their coins and cash off centralized exchanges. But first, we need to talk about how much of a Chad this guy looks like. <laughs> we'll we'll throw up a picture. This guy. <laughs> this I don't, I don't even know. This dude looks like the super smart version of Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> like Jag- the Giga Chad. Jaguars fans are triggered. Jaguars fans are triggered right now. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence was all right. Okay, we'll stop. We'll, we'll stop bagging on Trevor Lawrence when he throws less than seventeen interceptions. <laughs> uh, anyway, so couple things. So currently, right now, the uh, for anyone unaware, I don't, I'm not going to get into the details of it, but uh, the Canadian government is restricting and seizing accounts of people who are uh, supporting the trucker um, movement, I guess you could say, uh, the rebellion, for lack of a better term, uh, in Canada, and people who are trying to uh, send money uh, to support the trucker's cause, uh, the government's freezing their accounts, seizing funds, uh, etc. And if you try to do this, uh, through crypto, if you're trying to send it through crypto, then they can also seize your funds out of your crypto exchange as well. And that's basically what uh, Jesse Powell, the Kraken CEO, is pointing out here and why he's ultimately saying, you know, get your money out of centralized exchanges, which we're assuming what he means is start putting them in hardware wallets. Um, but he, he says, uh, you know, he would have to comply with the Canadian government. I believe he's Canadian. Um, I don't think it says, but it seems like this topic's kind of home for him, so I'm assuming he's Canadian. But he says... Uh, hold on a sec. Lost my uh, train of thought. So it's really... He said that he would be forced to comply uh, and that he recommends moving it out of an exchange. I don't think it has to be a hardware wallet per se. It just can't be a wallet that's connected to a central exchange because a lot of times the central exchanges are required by law to be able to work with the the federal government or wherever they're being um, used. So if they exist and can be used in Canada, um, he would have to comply. But I'm not... Let's see. Uh, See, Kraken is... European, so I'm gonna assume Jesse Powell is also European. If he's the founder and it's European based, so it could just be that he has obligations to apply or uh, comply with the uh, Canadian government for these things, even though he doesn't like it. He's right voiced his um, grievances, yeah, his concerns with the whole situation, and basically advised everyone, hey, get out of a crypto exchange and put everything into a hardware wallet or you know, a wallet not connected to an exchange because while uh, he he said that they were able to seize funds that were going from wallets to exchanges, but if it's just going um, from peer to peer on the blockchain, no exchanges involved, then their funds would be safe. However, it doesn't really mean much for them to keep their funds on a hardware wallet because crypto is not really that uh, readily adopted right now. So there's not going to be anything that they can use it for 
you know, usually people are using exchange to buy and sell crypto, but you can also withdraw your funds and convert it to U.S. dollar to your bank. And if they can't do that, then there's really no, I don't want to say there's no point in having the crypto, but they're not going to be able to uh, spend it. Right. The article says uh, later down on towards the bottom, it says early Thursday, Canadian authorities issued an order that blacklisted 34 crypto wallets linked to, I guess the truckers are calling themselves the Freedom Convoy. Mm -hmm. uh, the wallets in question contained approximately 1.4 million worth of cryptocurrency. That's a lot. According to statements from the Royal Canadian Mounted Police, any funds sent from the wallets to FinTrack-related exchanges would be immediately frozen. So FinTrack... Uh, stands for the Financial Transactions and Reports Analysis Center of Canada. Uh, it's Canadians or Canada's financial intelligence unit, uh, basically for their monetary system. Um, so it's it's obvious that they're already cracking down on uh, the crypto side of this themselves. I mean, they've already uh, basically. I don't know if they've frozen or seized, but they've at least frozen $1.4 million trying to be sent uh, in support of the Freedom Convoy. So it's uh, it's pretty interesting. It is it is cool to see, um, you know, a prominent figure like uh, like a like Kraken CEO um, come out and actually voice himself on this. I think a lot of a lot of CEOs worry about the bottom line and sharing their opinions and to see someone kind of you know, similar to the Elon Musk vein of CEOs, just feel completely free to voice his um, opinion. You know, whether you agree with it or not, I think just in general, people voicing their opinions that are in prominent positions, I think that's good. I'm I'm kind of tired of hearing nothing but silence because they're worried about the bottom line. Yeah, and it's it's really alarming to see something like this develop because you're thinking, you know, you kind of think of the United States and Canada as kind of like these these free countries where you know, it's the land of opportunities and stuff like that. But when you have governments actively coming out and taking your wealth because you're doing something that they don't like, because they're making you do something that you don't like, you're not allowed to have disagreements in this world anymore. People are just, I guess, going to go to war with you. If they, you know, if, if they can't uh, make you stop, they're going to, they're going to bankrupt you because you know, your money is theirs anyways. It's the government. <laughs> the government takes what they want. And this is this is why I love cryptocurrency, because this wouldn't be a problem for them if they didn't need the exchange. They need the exchange because they need to be able to convert their cryptocurrency to U.S. dollar. But if this were more widely adopted, you wouldn't have to go through any exchange. You wouldn't need to, because why would you want to spend a U.S. dollar when you could just directly spend your cryptocurrency? You could go to Walmart, buy some food, you could go to, you know, Meyer, Kroger, whatever your local grocery store is and and use that to purchase your necessities, but you know, because their their uh, fiat currency is stored in their banks and most of them were probably, you know, I'm going to assume most of them didn't have uh cryptocurrency. There's I mean, what are they going to do? The the government has access to everything. If they want their money, they're just going to take it. And yeah. Yeah, he says uh, there There was someone who uh, asked him uh, via Twitter, uh, at Deg Durat, Deg Durat, I think is how you say it, asking if Kraken would be put in a position where uh, it is told to freeze assets by the police without judicial consent. Uh, Powell responded, quote, 100% yes, it has slash will happen, and 100% yes, we will be forced to comply. If you're worried about it, don't keep your funds with any centralized slash regulated custodian. We cannot protect you. Get your coins out slash cash out and only trade peer to peer. Which is really kind of a big statement from him because he makes money off people using his exchange. And he seems to care more about people's, um, I guess, right to have their own money than yeah. he is about making a buck himself if, if he's giving out this advice. But the thing is with that, that mindset um, and that outlook, I think knowing the crypto community that bodes really well and i think that's going to actually get a lot of crypto users on his side because it's it's quite it seems quite apparent from his stance on the whole canadian matter that he's much more about the um the common person at least i think that's how a lot of crypto holders are going to see it and i think he's going to gain a lot of favor with people who um 
come in contact with this information, especially inside of Canada that are crypto enthusiasts. For sure. And I was, I was, um, Kraken wasn't my favorite when we talked about the top few exchanges, but this has definitely made me appreciate uh, their platform a little bit more. I do not appreciate their platform anymore. Three three point seven five percent deposit fee. I do not appreciate, but I do appreciate the CEO. You you sir get a thumbs up. Well, I mean that that could be something that's changed. It's it's weird with the way they have you deposit money. I can I mean it's like a straight wire from your bank. You can't you can't like uh, uh, connect your bank through Plaid or whatever other service that the people are using that make things simple. It's weird. Yeah. For our next article, crypto startup Helium raises $200 million. Uh, so there's nothing really complicated going on here I, because we've talked about Helium in the past few weeks. Um, I, I was interested in this information. Uh, Skybridge Capital, the investment firm founded by Anthony uh, Scaramucci, is in, is in market with an SPV designed to buy both Helium equity at a $1.27 billion valuation and tokens. It's unclear if the seller would be helium itself, uh, uh, would be helium itself of a third party. So, whoever's buying the two hundred million dollars is buying one equity in the company, but they're also actually holding uh, helium as well. Uh, the article does not mention like what portion of the two hundred million will be equity and what portion of it will be tokens. Um, but. Yeah, I, I think this is good. I'm I'm really rooting for Helium. I don't have anything invested in it, but the fact that they are continuing to make moves, continuing to garner capital, I'm I'm really rooting for them, and I hope they do well. And for those of you who don't remember, Helium is a is a project um, that aims to solve non financial uh, problems, and uh, specifically providing a. Uh, basically an internet connection, but it's um, a wireless radio, uh, I think 5G, I think 5G, 2.4G, whatever, but uh, long-range WAN signal for IoT devices to connect to. So developers would produce an IoT device, which is like a smart fridge, a smart microwave, you know, smart whatever, smart home item, uh, typically, or like a weather station uh, or weather equipment and stuff like that. That things that need internet connections, uh, they provide this network for, and people can mine um, on the network by providing wireless hotspots that contribute to the network, and the miners get uh, compensated based on how much coverage they provide. Um, so that's that's what the Helium project uh, very very basically does, and it is really really cool to see that uh, they're starting to secure some more funding. Yeah. So for our final article of the day, New Rule bans Fed officials from trading or from stock and crypto trading. So this was uh, this, although was just passed, it actually doesn't take effect until May first. Gotta love uh, government and how speedy they are to implementing their own rules. Um, the Federal Reserve announced last Friday that it has. Uh, adopted rules banning or restricting certain investment and trading activities from Fed Reserve officials. The rules which uh, take effect on May 1st were unanimously adopted by the Federal uh, Open Market Committee, which uh, is the FOMC. Under the new rules, senior senior officials are, quote, prohibited from purchasing individual stocks or sector funds, holding investments in individual bonds, agency securities, cryptocurrencies, commodities, or foreign currencies, entering into derivative contracts and engaging, excuse me, engaging in short sales or purchasing securities on margin, the Fed said in a statement. So I actually kind of have, uh, I think a lot of people are happy about this because I, I think a lot of people are of the position that the, the Federal Reserve um, is kind of in bed with um, politics and policy and all that. And to an extent, I, I, I think that's true as well. But it, me putting myself in, in their position, uh, say I'm, I'm a matter, I'm a member of the federal reserve in whatever capacity as someone who's primarily an investor looking into this space in general, I, I feel like to some extent, it's not fair that just because they're in the position they're in, they don't get to invest because the amount of different 
um, types of investments that they're basically barred from is almost everything. Um, you know, I'm sure there's some loopholes here and there that, that get them to have their foot in the door in terms of, you know, different types or other types of investments they can do. But for me, who's someone who, who loves the market and, and loves investing in companies, you know, I understand that they're privy to information and they can, you know, create information, create policy that can really, you know, sway the, the indices in the market one way or another. I was getting ready to ask, uh, does the federal, I don't know a whole lot about the Federal Reserve. It's been a while since they've taken economics, but yeah. do they, do they um, actually make legislation that affects the economy? Like, um, for example, they could, could they potentially ban cryptocurrency from the United States, which would have a pretty significant impact on the trading value of a lot of these cryptocurrencies? So the Federal Reserve themselves, that wouldn't be uh, within their, you know, scope of, um, you know, their job. That The Federal Reserve has two main jobs. One is maximum um, job employment and low inflation. Those are the two main jobs that the Federal Reserve has. Um, so that's not really in their purview. But uh, there are many things they can do, like raising, lowering interest rates, um, incentivizing banks to give out loans, not give out loans through, you know, one of the ways they can do this is uh, they can actually pay um, banks to hold excess reserves, um, which would pay out more than the actual, um, than how much it would actually, the, the banks themselves would actually make from loaning out the money. So there's different ways they can, you know, twist the system. And it's it's perfectly in their, you know, purview to do this because it, it stabilizes markets and it stabilizes the economy. But just because of that, I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm just too empathetic. But, you know, I, I feel like it, any given person in the market, especially when you look at the fact that, that Congress, um, you know, people like Nancy Pelosi and stuff, um, you know, trade all the time. They, they make stock trades all the time and very suspiciously at that. Like if you look at the timing of their trades compared to, you know, before things like um, things like earnings reports and things like that, like Nancy Pelosi actually on paper uh, from a statistical standpoint is one of the greatest investors of all time, better than Warren Buffett. And I, and I I guarantee she doesn't I guarantee she doesn't spend excess amounts of time like Warren Buffett reading earnings reports, listening to FOMC meetings and so on and so forth. Well, there's no way she's actually managing her own account. No, but that doesn't mean she doesn't have information she doesn't pass supply, along. Yeah. yeah, so it's like it's like I understand the Federal Reserve at the end of the day moves markets more than anyone else uh in the government. But with that being said, I don't know. You know, it's not like I have some fleshed out um, opinion on this matter. I, I, I'm i just not, I'm not in one camp or another. I'm not in the camp of like, this is great, this is fantastic, and I'm not in the camp of, this is bad, this is awful. It's I, I, I don't have an formulated opinion, but it, it is mildly troublesome to me um, that, you know, some people in the government can't invest basically in, in anything. Uh, well, I mean, I guess... I guess it's one thing if they sign up for the position knowing that, um, but if it's, you know, brought up on them all of a sudden, kind of like this is, you may maybe you get some people that leave. But I'm assuming the the, the position that they're in probably pay, probably pays pretty well, and yeah, if they had to choose between the two, probably would take the job. Yeah. But saying. but uh, that this this uh, this is not implemented yet. Again, it was passed, but uh, the rule takes effect May first. So then everybody can buy up before May first. I know, right? But I, I don't know because if they if they purchase the asset, I don't know. They're they're then not allowed to sell it. I would guess, right? That's the I thing. Don't I don't know. <laughs> Again, it's once you get into like people that make monetary policy and people that have monetary policy implemented upon themselves, it gets extremely sticky uh, where the line in the sand is. I was told that certain like companies, CEOs and stuff like that can't like buy and sell stock in their own company whenever they want. They have like certain dates during the year when they can do that. Unless you're Elon Musk. <laughs> you're just like 10 billion. You guys decide. Remember that poll he did on oh, Twitter? Yeah. <laughs> 
we love Elon. Something like that. I don't know. I don't feel like that's a really bad policy. I feel like they could they could implement that and still have them be able to trade, but it I, does uh, seem like there could be some conflicts of interest. Um, being oh, for in that, sure. Being in that area of the government. For sure. To 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 be to be so naive to assume that there's not um, there's not corruption on some level when it comes to insider information uh, in the government, especially with policymakers. Um, you know, I think it's pretty naive to assume that nothing's going on there. But at the same time. I'm not one to quickly throw out the baby with the bathwater when it comes to trying to solve a problem. I don't like to scorch earth. But anyway, the world the world goes on. So for our topic today, uh, we want to get into stable coins. Um, exactly, you know, probably most people listening know what they are, but I can quickly give a definition. So a stablecoin is a solely digital form of currency and whose price is pegged to the value of a government-issued currency. So if you have a if you have a uh, a stable coin that's pegged to the United States dollar, then uh, it will only fluctuate with the value of the dollar. Uh, you know, if you have a you know you have foreign stable coins as well, they're popping up left and right. We've talked about them in past um, you know news segments and in, in weeks past. If you have a stable coin that's pegged to the you know the euro then it will fluctuate with the euro so its price is not dependent on anything that it does in itself its price is completely dependent on a um, government issued currency so one of the biggest draws to stable coins in general and something that's also brought up a lot of controversy is the fact that they have extremely high yields um, especially since they don't technically do anything they do do something we'll get into that but they don't really do anything so on average uh stable coins going to get you anywhere from five to ten percent annual uh interest rate which by the way compared to your average uh uh savings account that's 40 to 200 times higher uh than your average savings account issued by banks which is 0.1 percent right and this is this is like the average, so you say you can sort of expect like a 7% return on your investment um, when you're in something like a mutual fund or like a 401k or something like that. 7% rate of return is kind of like the average. Is, it's the number you kind of use when you want to take into or try to predict what your money, what your um, account's going to be worth so many years into the future. And when you have rates that are quite regularly going above that and you don't have to like, I mean, it's not it's not going to be like it's not going to have the same tax benefits and stuff like that as you do with some retirement account retirement accounts. But right, the fact these, aren't that tax, able, these aren't tax deferred accounts that you're holding yeah. them in. So if you pull them out on like a Roth, like you're going to get taxed on the gains. Although I wouldn't be surprised if something something like that came out eventually. Um, that would be nice. Yeah. But you know, eight and a half percent is not unheard of right now. Oh no! I mean, nine. I think Gemini's at the Gemini stables at nine percent. Yeah, yeah. So this is the big draw—the fact that they have such high yields. Um, so a lot of people like me are thinking, well, why don't I just take my, you know, whatever my emergency fund, my extra savings? Why don't I just, you know, throw it into some stable coin? Because since that's going to make me forty to two hundred x what my average savings account's going to, you know, yield. So. This is, I think, what's important to understand um, about stable coins is one, if you're if you're a prudent investor or just a prudent thinking person in general, your first question should not be, how much does a given account yield? It should be, how does this work and why are the yields so high? Yep. So that's the real that's that's the the devil's in the details a little bit for how stable coins work. So each stable coin has a slightly different approach to their lending practices. Uh, But as explained by the leader of the stablecoin space, the website for USDT, which is uh, a company, Tether, um, they issue a stablecoin and it is pegged to the United States dollar. So when you ever see like USDT, the T probably stands for the company, you have USDC, so on and so forth. Um, But the website for Tether uh, explains the four main ways that you're able to earn such a high yield. So the first one is providing liquidity to an automated market maker, such as a Uniswap, SushiSwap, uh, JustSwap, Serum, and Curve. Uh, those are a few of the big ones. Uh, we actually talked about SushiSwap in the past. Um, 
providing liquidity to an automated market maker is similar to mining crypto from the standpoint that the company you hold your stablecoin with, for example, Tether, makes money on the transactions you provided the liquidity for. So basically what they do is they'll continue. So if you give, say, if you hold like $1,000 with a company like Tether, they'll take that $1,000 and they'll continue to loan it out to a bevy of different entities and they'll continue to just circulate that same $1,000 over and over again, obviously lumped in together with a lot of other thousands right. of dollars on top of it. But the point is they're taking your money. They're continuing to loan it, loan it as long as it's, you know, as long as you're holding it in Tether, they'll just continue to loan it out and out and out and out. Yeah, and I mean, this is this is something that like you and I could do. I mean, not to the same scale, but if we were to go on like Uniswap or SushiSwap or whatever, and you have a whole bunch of crypto tokens that you're not doing anything with, right. there's there's really no harm in joining a liquidity pool and providing what you have as liquidity, and then you you know get back all the transaction fees and um, all the rewards associated with that. It's a, it's almost like a different way of staking. It's like you're helping you're helping provide. Uh, instead of security, you're helping provide liquidity to the platform. When you're staking, you provide security to the platform. But when you know you're um, when you're providing liquidity to something like a, a Uniswap or Tether or any of these entities, um, you know you're helping stabilize the platform by giving it more liquidity. Um, but the second way that uh, someone like Tether would make money off of uh, your stablecoin would be lending it to a DeFi platform. So for anyone not knowing, DeFi just stands for decentralized finance. It's just a slang way of saying it. So it would be things like um, Coinbase, uh, Kraken, any, mostly exchanges, right? Uh, mostly exchanges. There are also third-party entities such as Cream or Compound that also do the same thing. Uh, for this form of lending, your stablecoins are used for floating collateralized debt to crypto holders wanting margin or crypto-backed credit cards like what BlockFi offers. Uh, okay. So that's that's the second way. The third way is lending to institutional brokers uh, via centralized lenders uh, such as Celsius. Celsius is someone that um, does this. I actually didn't know anything about Celsius. but Celsius, they have their own coin, don't they? I don't know. I thought I had seen them on Coin Market Cap one day, and I think I think I've seen them doing pretty decent recently. But I'm not I'm not sure exactly what they do. I, oh, guess we're about I think to they find do seventeen percent yield. Holy moly! All right, yeah, Meet Celsius, a community of over one million users that earn up to seventeen percent yield on their crypto, get paid in new tokens every week, and borrow cash at one percent. Buy coins, earn yield. Okay, so they do have their own coin. Wow. Top 100, number 95 in coin market cap. Yeah, 20.4 billion in assets as of February 11th, 1.6 million users, 852 million paid out in rewards. Wow. And they are available in 150 plus countries. What did you say the yield was? Uh, it says on the Celsius website, earn up to 17%. Here, Holy I, cow. Hold on, let me hold on, let me see rates here. Let me see rates. Hold on. I, I, I'm interested. That's ridiculous. Okay, so, uh, stablecoins are digital. Okay, USDC, USDT. So it's showing 8.5% for a lot of the big ones like Tether, Gemini. What the heck is this 17%? Is, is this like a some obscure coin? No one like the freaking Elon coin? Okay, so it says, so they have the... I'm on the wrong website. This is Celsius Live Fitness. So they have in-kind rewards rates. So this is basically what you would get paid holding it on the original exchange. So if you're holding Tether, this is what you would get paid holding it on Tether's, um, you know, with Tether themselves, the actual entity. But it's showing, this is so weird. It's showing, it says, accredited investor in sell reward rate at platinum level and it's i don't know if it's showing additional or it's showing instead of but it says 10.73 percent instead of 8.5 this yeah i'm looking that i'm looking at that right now yeah i I have no idea it says it's for credited accredited investors um it says earn in cel i don't know i'm assuming if you provided more liquidity to them you get to enter that bracket of yield that would be my assumption. Platinum membership. All right. What is the largest? Which one provides the most liquidity? That's the real question. We can do Doge? 0.63%. Why in the world would anybody do that? I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of sussed out. 
Their website's super nice. It must be legit. Yeah. <laughs> Famous last words. XLM, 1.26%. USDC, 10 point. It looks like the stable coins are kind of where yes, you get but, the most. But where's that 17% they're talking about? Yeah, Holy where's, moly. Where's the 17%? That's what we want to see. We want to sort by high to low. Solana, 7%. Wow, you can get 11.5% holding Matic with them. Sheesh. What about Litecoin? We got some of that around here. <laughs> Four percent. You know, these numbers really aren't bad. Like four percent. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here's that. Here's that seventeen. Uh, look up SNX. What's SNX? So with SNX, they're offering seventeen point eight five percent yield. SNX. Look up SNX. At, what I, is that? Where, I don't even see that as an option. Uh, I went to cryptocurrencies. Uh, on the on the up by the CR weekly rates. Instead of going all coins, I clicked over to cryptocurrencies, and that's it's at the top. I gotta look this up. SNX. Crypto. So T yeah, all the stable coins like eight and a half percent. And then you have oh we have a, they have gold tokens. Um SNX is wow. So that's at the platinum level. So yeah, that that's a weird that's not a, a truthful number really. It's a, for accredited investors and CEL rewards rates. So that's when you check that extra box and you say, Oh, I wanna I want the seventeen point eight five percent, you know. Okay so, okay, so SNX, so unraveling the mystery one layer at a time here. SNX stands for Synthetics. It's a decentralized finance protocol that provides on-chain exposure to a wide variety of crypto and non-crypto assets. The protocol is based on the Ethereum blockchain and offers users access to high-liquidity synthetic assets. Since track and provide... Synthetics. Yeah, since track and provide returns on underlying asset without requiring one to directly hold the asset. The platform aims to broaden the cryptocurrency space by introducing non-blockchain assets, providing access to more robust financial market. I guarantee you this is Celsius's product in some way, or at least they have a partnership to offer such a high yield. I was to say, it's not even like, I mean, it's not an obscure coin. It's number 120 on coin market cap, but... So you, you can buy it on Binance, Coinbase Pro, Uniswap. Um, it, okay, it's an ERC-20. So it's an Ethereum-based token. Yep. Interesting. It's a proof of stake as well. So this is, got a little bit off track here, but this is super cool. Uh, Celsius, this this looks really, really interesting. And actually, maybe we'll talk about it next week as far as our... our... You, you can purchase it on Coinbase Pro, Uniswap, Binance, and OKEX. Hmm. This is really cool. It, 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 it gives its hand away a little bit uh, what it is when it's, when you and it says you can purchase it on Uniswap. <laughs> Although, G. So if you wanted to like stake Gemini, it's eight and a half percent. I mean that's that's nothing crazy. I mean that's on par with what you get from like BlackFi. Eleven and a half percent with Polygon though. Eleven and a half. That is insane. And I hold that anyways. I mean that. Well, I did. You do. I I, I do, but I lost <laughs> so much of it. <laughs> we won't get into it. But that's that's what the 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 um accredited investors platinum rewards program. You got your your Capital uh, One Platinum Rewards card. Yeah, here at Celsius you can hold Solana for seven percent, six point nine two. Wow. Okay. okay. Well that that was a nice little uh nice little rabbit hole we went down. But anyway, so rewinding a bit, we're we were back at our third what is the third way that Tether makes money off of your tokens? Or not your tokens, your stablecoin. Uh, and this would be lending to institutional brokers such as Celsius, which we were just talking about. Centralized lenders lend stablecoins and other digital assets to approve clients who are assessed for credit worthiness and often provide collateral. The lender always acts as the intermediary to the situation. If enough of the borrowers defaulted on their loans, it is possible that the depositors could suffer a loss. So this this is this is this is a little bit of the damning part of um, stable coins. So I'll, I'll get into a little bit of the dangers of, of stablecoin later, but we're, we're starting to see a little bit through the cracks here. Unlike DeFi, uh, centralized lenders' interest rates do not vary on a day-to-day -day basis in response to supply and demand. Rates are typically fixed for a moderate period of time until they are adjusted up or down due to market conditions. So again, when you know, say you have a, say you're holding stablecoin and tether, um, it is likely 
you know, not largely, but it is likely depending on the market conditions and the and the liquidity. Um, you know, if if Tether just has a lot of liquidity in its pool and it may end up having trouble lending out what it has anyway, you could see interest rates drop because they don't really need more people providing liquidity to the platform. So you could see interest rates drop. So it's a bit of a supply and demand issue, whereas say you're in a bit of a crypto crash um, and people are running for the hills, taking their stablecoin out, wanting to turn it back into fiat for whatever reason. Um, you know, you could see the liquidity pull shrink drastically, which would bring interest rates back up. So it's it really is a matter of supply and demand. Um, so that would be the third way would be institutional brokers. So, so far to back up real quickly, you could provide liquidity to an automated market maker. Uh, you could lend your stablecoin to DeFi platforms, uh, or you could lend it to institutional brokers. The fourth main way that you can lend your stablecoin is lending to centralized exchanges, such as Bitfinex. Excuse me. Centralized exchanges will convert and loan out your stablecoin to traders looking to leverage their accounts. One way would be them buying futures contracts with your stablecoin using leverage given by the brokerage. When traders or investors use leverage, this carries with it an interest rate that is paid back to the issuer of stablecoin or of the given stablecoin that, uh, that's being loaned out. So basically, any possible way they can make money off of your money, they're going to do it. And the scary part of this is the fact that they... So here's we can get into the dangers a little bit here. So the dangers of stablecoin at the end of the day, if you had to put it into one sentence, is the fact that stablecoins are not regulated by the SEC in any way, shape, or form. So this is not a, yet, at least. No, not yet, at least. The problem is the SEC doesn't have a clue what what cryptocurrency is, much less what stablecoins are. So it's like whatever. But that's a whole different topic. Um, XRP guys know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Rest in peace, XRP uh, holders. Uh, maybe one day you will rise again from the ashes. Oh, they will. I, I read Hopefully. that that, that uh, case is supposed to wrap up towards the end of this year, like September. So to multiply that by times two, they should be done by 2030. <laughs> Knowing the government. Anyway, so this is the double-edged sword that is cryptocurrency. And it's okay to admit that this is a double-edged sword. Usually the double-edged... O- the 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 flip of this coin no pun intended is the fact is when it comes to holding your stable coins the fact that you don't have regulation means a couple things a couple really important things first the fact that there is no regulation means that the people you are giving your stable coin to they do not have to report what they're doing with it where it is or their practices and policies with it so this is dangerous because you could have companies that are trying to squeeze every single diamond penny out of your, we'll say, for example, $1,000 again. They're trying to squeeze every dime of uh, money out of your $1,000 as possible. And what this would look like for an exchange would be they would over leverage themselves. So if for anyone uh, that's an investor, it would basically be going into margin, heavy margin. Um, with your $1,000. And the problem with this is when you get something like a crypto crash or even a flash crash, what happens is you could have something like, and, we, and we've all seen this if we've held crypto for you know more than six months, you, you get a point in time where you get mass liquidations, something like a Bitcoin or Ethereum goes down like 20% in a day. And the problem with this is when you are in heavy leverage, you could get margin called. Uh, it wouldn't necessarily be called margin called specifically for stable coins, but it's essentially the same thing that's happening to you. And what happens is say, you know, say someone like Tether has $10 million and they go ahead and they're heavily leveraged and you get something like a flash crash. So that $10 million all of a sudden turns into $8 million. When this happens and you have a bunch of paper handers that are holding their stable coin in it, when you get the combination of a flash crash with people wanting to take their money out of stablecoin because for whatever reason, all of a sudden, within the span of 15 minutes, they don't trust uh, stablecoin or the crypto market in general anymore. 
they want to take their money out. Maybe they want to even take their money out of stablecoins so they can invest it to buy the dip. That's another thing that could happen. What happens is when you have a compound effect of a flash crash on top of people wanting to take their money out of the liquidity pool, you could have a point where the liquidity is basically inverted and all of their loans are basically going to be called by these centralized exchanges and in these institutional brokers say, hey, you, you've hit a certain point here. We, you know, you have so many losses. We need you to go ahead and pay up because we're worried you don't have the money. When this happens, because it's not regulated, you could have uh, you could have a nightmare situation for somebody where they go, say, in the midst of a crash to take their stablecoin out. That stablecoin's not there. It's not available because they're needing to basically float your money until they get more money from a place like Uniswap or somewhere else. While that's happening, you could have a couple period of couple hour or even up to a day period of time where you literally do not have access to your money, your money. And this is because you you have um, someone like Tether needing to do a bait and switch and needing to bring more liquidity in from a third party. So this is a big danger. Yeah. I... And this has actually happened before. This... It's not... It's not like the worst thing ever. Like if this is like worst case scenario, so you're not able to like liquidate your investments as easily as you'd like. Yeah, that's probably not something that you want to run into. However, um, the fact that it's in this type of savings account type uh, type of investment means you're probably not very often going to be wanting to pull it out if it's like a long term savings account. So. Yeah, but uh, then, then, but the thing is, usually, so if you like believe in cryptocurrency, there's there's two big dangers for the for the consumer holding um, stablecoin in a in a crazy market like like flash crash type of market where you have everything going down twenty percent a day, which is which happens probably a couple times a year. What happens is you usually have one of two situations or one of three situations why you would want to take your why you would want to take your stablecoin out in a time like that. One, you you love crypto, you're salivating over the dip and you want to buy it. So you want to transfer out of stable and you know buy your Ethereum or Bitcoin or whatever you're into. That would be one. Two, you have a life emergency. That that's possible. That happens. I mean sure. the you, you have a you know, you have a holy crap moment probably like once or twice a year and if that and if the stars align where that happens in the midst of a uh, of a liquidity crisis then you're in really big trouble especially if this is like your emergency fund maybe this is where you want to set your emergency fund which would be my idea this is what i would do why i would hold my stable coin i'd hold it for like emergency fund especially since if i hold it and this would be kind of my strategy if I were to hold my emergency fund in some form of stablecoin and hold it on the Coinbase Pro platform, I have the Coinbase Pro card. So it's like at my fingertips if I want it. I just switch over what I want to use and I could do that. But if you have a life emergency, you know, that could possibly combine, you know, with a, with a, with a crash of some sort, or you have a liquidity crisis, or crisis uh, then you have a big problem on your hands. So again, it, this isn't like some at any given moment you're going to be screwed type of thing but these are dangerous to think through before you could get greedy and be like shove all my money into you know 10% you know 5% yield so you just i'm not saying don't do stablecoin i'm going to put my emergency fund into stablecoin or at least half of it um but just all i'm saying is just be educated and be aware of the possibilities of the worst case scenarios because if you're not aware and you're and you're not educated then that's a really dangerous place to be in especially if you really need the money you know say you know your car breaks down you know someone needs an emergency trip to the hospital like you know life happens there could be anything that could happen so just 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 be aware of the dangers i'm not saying don't invest in stablecoin my only two things would be one know the policies and make sure that who you're holding your stablecoin with is very transparent about their practices and about their liquidity holding. So Tether, for example, Tether, um, every quarter, they release a balance sheet of uh, their liquidity compared to, so they show their liquidity, and they also show how much is being held in Tether. So you get to see the discrepancy of, okay, how leveraged are they really? You know, So that's nice too. But also look and, you know, go on the websites of some of these um, stable coins and, and look into the policies, you know, see, see, 
what their lending practices are. Um, obviously, you can't know everything, especially when they're not required to let you know everything. But be as educated as you can. And, you know, just make sure that, um, you know, that, that you have a fair bit of trust in the people that you're holding. You know, because at the end of the day, you know, we think of these as like cryptocurrencies. At the end of the day, these are companies making money. That's what they are. They are, in, they are an entity of a group of people that are looking to make money and pay the bills and go home. So it, it's, I think it's a good approach to look at them as a company and just make sure you trust the company at the end of the day. That's all I would say. Now, is there a situation that could arise where the value of the stablecoin, and in our case, the US, the stablecoin that's pegged to the U.S. dollar would be one that we would be concerned with, is there any chance that these stable coins are no longer stable or no longer pegged to the U.S. dollar? So maybe instead of being worth a dollar or, you know, one USDT is worth one U.S. dollar, it goes to like one USDT is worth, you know, 79 cents. So I actually don't know. Um, I'm, I've always just, when it comes to my opinions of stable coins, I always work under the assumption of the pegged factor, the fact that they're pegged to the dollar. Um, so I, I actually don't know. I'm not, I'm not going to act like I know because I don't. And for those that don't know, when we, when we say pegged, what we're talking about is how, the, how it's fixed, with the, how, it, how it moves at the U.S. dollar price. And that's usually um, based on two things or two different. It's, it's usually backed by something. So something other than, um, well, okay, for, for example, Tether USDT, it's a fiat peg stable coin, which means it's going to be uh, uh, backed by the equivalent amount of currency for the U.S. dollar. So Tether, USDC, uh, uh, True USD, the Gemini dollar, those are all fiat-backed currencies which are backed by the U.S., an actual U.S. dollar. Um, there are other coins that are crypto collateralized. Collateralized. That's that's a tough one to say. Yeah. Uh, and which means that it's crypto. It's a stable coin that's pegged to the U.S. dollar, but it's not backed by the U.S. dollar. It's backed by other cryptocurrencies. And then there's also some that are backed by, I think, gold. I think there's I think there's some out there that are backed by gold. But that that's how it's uh, that's how it's pegged. It's collateral. It's backed by either a fiat currency or gold or something like that or other um, uh, cryptocurrencies. And actually, we just talked about one of them, synthetics. And I'm just now seeing this. But it is a crypto collateralized uh, uh, stablecoin. So if you went to Celsius and you wanted to sign up for a stablecoin, synthetics is, or SUSD, is backed by crypto and yields as much as what we saw like 17.85 percent or whatever it was hmm. uh so i don't know if there's anything that happens with their collateral um there's not enough in the reserves or something like that I, I assume maybe the value would drop or if there was too much the value might slightly increase but i they, they'd obviously have to manipulate that some yes that, that's, that's how i understand it yeah. So for the heck of it, thinking you were asking like what happens in the case of like, you know, something like a Gemini stable falls back to like seventy two cents or something crazy. Falls back. Has it ever been there? I, I don't know about Gemini, but oh, for okay. for Tether, April eighteenth, twenty seventeen, it was at the price was so this is in relation to a dollar being worth a dollar. It was at point nine 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 five. Over the course of the next six days, it fell to 91.3 cents on the dollar. Dang. It took, and it, and it took an entire month. So from April 18, 2017 to May 18, 2017, it took a month for it to recover and get back to a price of $1.0012. I don't know why this happened, but to say that it's impossible that a stable is worth less than the dollar and fluctuates like that. So you have, as a general rule of thumb throughout the day, you can have tether, tether does, or any stable coin does fluctuate. 
but the fluctuations are so incredibly small it really doesn't matter because they're fluctuating like one one hundredths of a penny sometimes or at the it's it's very it's considered a mass fluctuation if it fluctuates more than a penny um but here almost five years ago uh it went down to 91.3 cents i don't know why um but that is interesting so it is possible again I I am by no means no expert in, in stable coins yet or in many aspects of the crypto market. The only thing I would just say is before you put money in anything, forget stable, just anything, just just do your due diligence. Just do your research and make sure you're comfortable with it and don't just chase the gains. For sure. So section three, which is our coin of the week, as usual, uh, we wanted to do, well, I wanted to do uh, Solana. So Solana, a lot of people know about Solana. It's one, by far one of the hottest coins right now. Um, a lot of people like it. So a little bit of background on it. It was uh, founded by uh, Anatoly Yakavento. I want to say that was my best guess. Apologies if I was wrong. Anyway, uh, he was the figurehead behind Solana. Started his career at Qualcomm where he quickly moved up the ranks as senior staff engineer in 2015, where he ended, he ended up pivoting jobs and moved from software engineer at Dropbox. In 2017, he began working on a project that would later materialize into Solana, which launched uh, on April 5th, 2018, with a seed of around $0.04 cents per Solana. Boy, that would be a nice return, wouldn't it? $0.04 cents a pop. I mean, it's in a crash, it's like $100 right now. So, wow. what makes Solana unique? This was the question I had. So, me, I'm, like many of you, an Ethereum homeboy. I love Ethereum. It's my favorite crypto. I think it's the best crypto, like, literally, objectively. But all that aside, not knowing that much about Solana, outside of a few, like, main, you know, sentences I could spew out about it. That's about it. But my thought was, what, what makes Solana unique? Why is it so hot right now? Which is essentially why I wanted to discuss it. So Solana, most notably known in the crypto space for its insane TPS, which stands for transactions per second. Uh, it's known mostly for its uh, insane TPS speeds. The Solana network provides 50,000 TPS right now. Uh, many call it, quote, the visa of crypto, end quote, for its insane processing speeds. The network uses what's called proof of history in combination with the classic proof of work. So it's a hybrid form of consensus developed uh, by the founder. Proof of history allows for greater scalability in the network, and all transactions are hashed with the crypto classic uh, Shea, is it Shea 256, is that how you say it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Shea 256. Some people say Shea 256, but... I said Shaw, it just sounds so weird. I like Shay. <laughs> so my question, so for me so far when I was researching, I was like, okay, insane, insane TPS speeds. I get it. But Visa, for instance, which is, you know, this it's the hallmark, you know, debit and credit card institution. They process about 3,000 transactions per second. So obviously, fifty thousand transactions per second is like mind blowing, insane, totally unnecessary. Although I did, I did do some reading, and apparently, a lot of those transactions per second, a large percentage of that TPS, is not even actually used to confirm transactions between two people. They're like uh, transactions involved in their proof of history. So I'm not entirely sure the the technical details behind all of that. But I guess it should be um, made known that the 55,000 is not truly representative of all transactions being confirmed on the blockchain. So, like, you know, with Visa, 3,000 or whatever it was. Um, yeah. Yeah, 3,000. Pretty much all of those are going to be transactions between two participants, you know, a buyer and a seller. Whereas a transaction being processed on Solana's blockchain may not actually have anything to do with money being exchanged between two people. Well, it might have something to do with it, but, you know, it's not literally the transaction. Right. So the biggest thing a lot of people love about Solana is obviously the 50,000 TPS. At the moment, Ethereum has about 5,200 TPS. So 
in, in my opinion, although it is insane that it almost 10Xs Ethereum's uh, TPS, um, it's really not a selling point for me as an investor. It's like, okay, that's great, but sufficient is sufficient, and Ethereum is more than sufficient. Um, obviously, you know, you have your your gas fees and all that but that's a little bit of another topic it's more network congestion than anything but so that where where did that fifty thousand number i mean in the last 30 minutes the average has been floating somewhere around three thousand well i wasn't saying it processes that i was saying it's capable oh yeah um but there is there is a big problem with solana uh, just in general, not not even a problem I have. It's just a problem. It's just an objective problem. So unfortunately, its bottleneck is the multiple outages and hacks that has plagued the network. So for anyone saying that's old news, uh, no, it's not. If you if by old news you mean 16 days ago, no, because that was the last time it was hacked. So there's a little bit of a misunderstanding about people say Solana was hacked. So technically, Solana doesn't get hacked. It's actually uh, it's actually what's called a communication bridge, which is called uh, the wormhole. So the most recent hap- hack happened through what's called the wormhole, which is a communication bridge protocol that connects the Solana blockchain to other chains uh, to perform transactions at faster speeds than other competitors. On February 3rd this year, the wormhole was hacked, uh, and with it, $320 million in crypto was taken with it. So the hacker did this by falsely creating 120,000 falsely wrapped tokens, uh, mostly Ethereum tokens, inside of the wormhole for himself. The network replaced these tokens back to the people uh, they were hacked from. Uh, but again, uh, we actually, we, me and Brett actually got into this a little bit before uh, we started the podcast, so we can rehash it a little bit. But my question was, what happens to these falsely wrapped tokens? So obviously you can't just like delete them. Um, and if you're if you're adding if if you're needing to basically compensate these people who were hacked, you have to add you know more Solana tokens um, to not even tokens coins, Solana coins to the network. Um, so my thought originally was, well, doesn't isn't that just adding to the money supply, which is which is going to create a form of inflation for Solana, like minting new coins yeah. to compensate for the individual's loss. Yeah, yeah, you you know you just be like, oh, I found them. You know, you just create them out of thin air, uh, almost like the government. <laughs> yeah, I but uh, but but as uh, you you want to explain like basically like uh, your point to yeah, me thinking that I don't know exactly what happens in these situations. Um, I kind of assume that they're not just minting new coins. To, to sort of compensate for this individual's loss, I would like to believe that some of these larger um, companies have reserves of these coins available for situations like this. Like I'm looking at, uh, I'm st- I still have Celsius's page pulled up, and I can see um, they're actually fairly transparent um, uh, with what they hold. Like they actually have on their website um, different wallets associated with different parts of their business. So you can see they have uh, one, two, three, four, five wallets associated with their treasury with so many of their tokens inside of it. Um, and it's you can see they have 39.11% of the Celsius uh, circulation inside of their treasury. Right. So I would like to believe that if something like this happened with Solana, they have a reserve available that they kind of just take the loss and and reimburse their customers but uh obviously i have i that was just right off the top of my head i'm not 100 percent sure that's how it works that's kind of what i believe for the time being right um i'm pretty positive they're not just going to start minting new coins just to you know make up for this dude's loss yeah so i went to coin market cap and i clicked on solana Curious about uh, Brett's uh, theory about, you know, well, wouldn't they just add to what will eventually be the total supply, but it's not the that part of the supply isn't in circulation yet. So you just add it to circulation ahead of time, basically. So it seems like that's actually the case, because the, re- the reason I say that is if you look um, on CoinMarketCap and you look uh, on Solana, th- there's two figures here. It has circulating supply, which currently at the moment of us filming this is 319... 
1,659,779 Solana. And it, but it says under that the total supply is 511,616,946. So there's a discrepancy of about 190 million Solana that aren't circulating, but are part of the supply. So I'm assuming it's similar to Ethereum's situation where basically they slowly add to the supply over time, but it's disinflationary from the standpoint that you're adding the same amount over the same period of time. But as you get a larger and larger supply, the percentage that you're adding decreases. That's just how the math works. So I'm assuming that's that's basically the case with Solana because they still have about 35% of the supply that's not even circulating right now. So I'm assuming they take from that... Um, that kind of dormant part of the supply and, and that's what they use to compensate. So it's not that they, the, the supply isn't getting, um, you know, increased at all. It's just that the supply isn't totally available and they're taking from that unavailable part to re to compensate people. 